take your seat. Hello, everyone. My name is Ray Burbank, and I'm one of the elders here at Charlotte Chapel. Uh, if you would, get your Bible out again and return to that passage, the second passage that was read to us this evening in Romans chapter 1. And as you do that, let me pray and ask for God's help. Father, we uh, ask for your help now that you would incline our hearts to your testimonies. Lord, that you would open our eyes to see wondrous things in your word now. And God, that you would change us, that by your spirit you would work on us, that we would respond and apply your word in our lives tonight, that we would be molded more and more to be like Jesus in this world. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Well, this Sunday is Mission Sunday here at Charlotte Chapel, and I'm so glad that we have these special kinds of services reserved in the church calendar to focus on missions. And part of the reason is because these kinds of services were uh, really impactful in my own life when I was a younger Christian. God saved me when I was 17 uh, years old, and when I entered university, I began meeting with some older Christian men that discipled me helped me grow in my walk with Christ. And I got involved in the, the local campus ministry we had at our university. And while I was at one of the summer retreat programs, they brought in some missionaries from overseas to come and speak to us about uh, the need around the world uh, for the gospel. And it was really eye-opening for me. I, I got to learn about the spiritual state of the world outside of the U.S. where, I, where I'd grown up. And it really shook me up. I learned that there are millions of people in the world who are not only not Christians, not only don't trust Christ, I mean there were plenty of people like that right around where I was living, but that there are so many people who don't even have access to the gospel. This is what we call unreached people groups. And the Lord really put a burden on my heart uh, on these, for these people and for his, what His Word tells us about the Great Commission to go and make disciples of all nations. And so after a lot of prayer and uh, just consulting with some other brothers, I, I committed to going on a long-term uh, evangelistic role in South Asia. And I, I put a few pictures here um, to kind of show you what I was like in my youth. Uh, and uh, this is a picture with my wife, Lauren. Uh, Lauren also joined that team at the same time, but we weren't uh, married, we weren't dating or anything at the time, but she secretly had a crush on me. Um, Lauren and I got married a few years uh, into our time there. Both of our kids were born there, and there's a picture of them up there with some of our neighborhood kids. And we spent almost seven years there doing evangelism, discipling new believers, and helping to plant a church. But you know, one of the most enjoyable aspects of our uh, work was being able to uh, report back to churches in our hometowns, getting to, um, to share about our ministry with them through uh, newsletters or personal visits while we were on furlough. And it was so great because it was so eye-opening for so many of the Christians in these churches, just as it had been for me when I was a student. These uh, Christians that we spoke to, they were seeing how not only the, you know, the great need for the gospel around the world, but also their obligation to participate in God's mission in the world, to obey the great commission of making disciples of all nations. And on our text this evening, we see a similar situation. 
a missionary writing to a church that he plans to visit to go and encourage them with the gospel and then to seek their support for him to travel to an unreached place and preach the gospel there. Now, some may be surprised to see a sermon on missions in the book of Romans. You know, we, we often think of Romans as this great theology book of the New Testament, right? And, and that's true in many ways. I mean, it gives this rich and robust explanation of the gospel, right? But if you look at the bookends of the letter to the Romans, in chapters 1 here and, and in chapter 15, you can see how it is written like a missionary newsletter. And it shows us here in this opening passage in chapter 1 the example of the Apostle Paul, the great missionary of the New Testament. Paul told the Corinthians once, you know, follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. Now, even though not all of us will move overseas, not all of us will become full-time cross-cultural workers, but this text shows us that we all have a part to play in God's mission. You see, Jesus has called all His disciples to obey His great commission to make disciples of all nations. And here in Romans, we see the characteristics of a great commission Christian, or what I call the, the marks of a mission-minded Christian. And these are, these are the two marks and the two main points of the sermon. That a mission-minded Christian is, first of all, committed to strengthening the church, and second, compelled to spread the gospel to all nations. Let's look at the first one here. Committed to strengthening the church. Look at verses 8 uh, through 12. This is where we see it really. Look at verse 8. Um, we see how Paul says that I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you. Uh, all of you, meaning the Christians who are in the city of Rome. The Apostle Paul is writing to them and, and he's starting off here sharing how thankful he is for them and especially for uh, their faithfulness. He describes how he prays often for the chance to visit them. Now as far as we know, uh, Paul had never met these Christians in person. Now, he didn't start the church in Rome, but he had heard of them from afar. And as we'll see, Paul wants to visit them, to encourage them, but then to partner with them to continue to advance the gospel to unreached people further afield. And we can see why the church in Rome would be in such a strategic position for being a missions platform. You know, the city of Rome was the capital of Western civilization for hundreds of years, right? All roads lead to Rome, is that famous saying. And by God's grace, you know, this meant that the Christians living in Rome had an immense opportunity, a platform to continue to spread the message of Christ to the rest of the world. And it appears this is what they were doing. We don't know exactly how they were doing this, but we can assume that they were being faithful just in their day-to-day -day lives to share Christ with people around them. Maybe they were uh, also supporting some of their uh, other Christians who were through their trades traveling around and being able to be a witness for Christ through their work, moving around, um, and obviously just loving one another. Loving one another in a way that caught the attention of the non-Christians who were passing through Rome. You know what's amazing is that today, we live in a country that has a similar uh, immigration profile as Rome did in the first century. 
The United Kingdom has one of the largest rates of immigration in the world. And many of these immigrants come from parts of the world where there are very few Christians and very little exposure to the gospel. People from uh, India, from China, Middle Eastern nations, and others are moving by the thousands to this country every year. And so the question for us is, how are we as Christ's church responding to what God is doing in bringing people here? How are we seeking to be a faithful witness to them? Well, let's continue in our passage and see what Paul has to say. Look at verse 11. Paul continues to talk about how he longs to visit the Romans, and he says specifically that he wants to come and impart to you some spiritual gift to make you strong. He's saying, this is what I pray for. Paul doesn't just pray thanksgiving for the Roman Christians, but he asks God that he could actually physically go and tangibly serve them, to strengthen them with some spiritual gift. Now pause for a minute and think about your own prayer life. What are the things that are always included when you're speaking to the Lord in prayer? Are they usually something about, about your day, about an issue at home, at work, maybe something you're anxious about for the future, maybe an illness? Well, look at what the Apostle Paul constantly prayed about. The opportunity to go and strengthen other Christians. Paul constantly asked God for the opportunity to build up others. In the body of Christ, he seeks to, he says, impart some spiritual gift. And this is probably some, you know, means of, uh, some form of spiritual growth that God would produce in their lives through Paul coming and speaking words of wisdom and, and encouragement to them. Now, this doesn't mean that Paul never prays about the things that, that we pray about on a daily basis, like uh, an illness or immediate issue in our day. But it does give us an example of someone who prays, whose prayer doesn't remain just on the level of immediate personal needs, but it always extends out to consider other Christians and other opportunities to serve them. And notice that these are Christians in a distant land. These are not people that he sees on a daily basis. He's never met them, probably. Paul was thinking about the global church Younger churches who are in need of support and encouragement. And we should cultivate the same heart for the global church. Look at verse 12. He, he kind of clarifies, right? He says, you know, to impart some spiritual gift to make you strong, that is, that you and I may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith. That, that Paul would also benefit and be encouraged by them. You know, it's easy for us, right, to see Paul as kind of this superhero, spiritual leader who, you know, he doesn't need anybody because he's always just going to pour out in service to others. You know, and maybe some of you feel this way. Maybe you're very faithful to serve uh, in this church or in your community and you, you're always pouring out, but, but you don't really like to accept help from others, you know, because you just want to keep a stiff upper lip and keep calm and carrying on, right? Well, Paul models a different attitude here. Paul, this great missionary, you know, who, who went so many places, started so many churches, wrote so much of the New Testament, even he says he needs the encouragement of others, even those who are younger than him in the faith. Brothers and sisters, we need each other. We need each other. The church is not a building. I, I feel like I sound like a broken record. I've said this before. The church is not a building. We, we are a 
family. We are a congregation of believers. The Bible describes the church as the body of Christ. This is what Alan spoke to us about this morning, right? That we're like a hand, an eye, an ear. In a healthy body, all of these things work together and need each other. No matter how insignificant you may feel as a member in this church, if you are a born-again believer in Christ, that you have become part of the membership of this church here, you have a part to play in the health of this body. And if you neglect this obligation, well, then you reject God's calling on your life. And you actually withhold some spiritual gift that you could give to others. So let's not just be a consumer that comes and attends. Let's be a contributor as well. So how can we apply this, friends? What, what can we do to strengthen the church here at Charlotte Chapel, other believers? And also, how can we strengthen Christians overseas, abroad? How can we depend on each other too and find encouragement from each other and from other Christians abroad? Well, let me give you a few um, application points for this uh, first part of the message. Pray. Number one is pray, right? Pray for this church. Come to our uh, central prayer meetings that we have on the first Wednesday and the third Wednesday of each month. At 8 o'clock, we meet in here. We have a great time. Um, it, it, it's a great time to get to know others, to pray with them, to find out the needs within our church, and to find out some needs abroad as well through our mission partners and churches around the world. Maybe you need to join a growth group or another small group within the church and you can get to know people uh, on a more intimate basis and be able to, to pray with them. Sign up for uh, the WhatsApp group. Our CWT team, the Cross-Cultural Workers team here in the church has a WhatsApp group. You can get daily updates where you can pray um, for others around the world. Um, we also have a CWT prayer guide. I don't have one up here right now, but come down to the Connect Corner after the service and we can get you a physical copy of prayer guides where you can pray for uh, uh, cross-cultural workers around the world and other churches. The second thing is serve. Serve. Use the gifts that God has given you to serve. Maybe you don't really know how God has, has gifted you. You've never really uh, figured it out. Well, just start serving somehow. Just start serving in some way, and the Lord will reveal it to you. You'll find out. Maybe it's through hospitality or through you know, words of encouragement. Maybe it's through mentoring younger people. We would love to help you um, get connected in a serving opportunity and discover how you can share some spiritual gift right, with others. But also, don't just think within Charlotte Chapel. Even think further abroad. Think about how can you also consider the global church and serve other Christians around the world. You know, one of the best ways to do this is uh, through one of our pillar network churches. You know, we had uh, Nagusi who came here from Ethiopia and spoke to us. We had uh, Pastor Shyam who's in Abu Dhabi and leads an Indian congregation there. Come find out about maybe ways that you can pray for them. Not only that, but maybe you can even take a week of your annual leave and go visit one of these churches and seek to encourage them. And the third thing is depend. Depend on uh, others. Let other people in this church help you. Ask for it. Seek to learn from other Christians. You know, younger people should seek out intentionally the older people in this church. And just as I suggested about uh, churches further afield, maybe visiting one of these churches in our pillar network, 
Think of it also as an opportunity for you to be built up, for you to learn from them. And uh, within our own congregation, we have a great opportunity where you can do this through our international fellowship. You know, our IF meets every Friday night, and they have a social event monthly that goes on. Why don't you attend one of these? Why don't you go and, and get to know some of the members in our church who come from these different cultural backgrounds um, and get to know them and seek to find ways to encourage them and, and be able to learn from them as well. So we need to love the church enough, right, to tangibly serve and humbly seek the service of others. And we do this so that we can be a people whose faith, like the Roman Christians we see here, their faith is radiating throughout the world. That leads us to our second mark that we see here of a mission-minded Christian. That a mission-minded Christian is compelled to spread the gospel to all nations. Look at verse 13. Um, in verse 13, Paul says, I do not want you to be unaware, brothers and sisters, that I planned many times to come to you, but have been prevented from doing so until now, in order that I might have a harvest among you, just as I have had among the other Gentiles. So again, Paul wants to come and visit them, and, and he wants, to know, wants them to know that uh, you know, he's, he's coming there so that he might have some harvest among them. What does he mean exactly by that? Well, keep your finger there in Romans 1, and why don't you turn to chapter 15, the same letter there in Romans. Turn back to chapter 15, and we're going to see uh, where Paul gives more details about why he wants to visit the Romans and what he plans to do when he comes there. Look at chapter 15 in Romans, starting at verse 23. In verse 23, uh, he says, But now that there is no more place for me to work in these regions, and since I have been longing for many years to visit you, I plan to do so when I go to Spain. I hope to see you while passing through and to have you assist me on my journey there after I have enjoyed your company for a while. So Paul's purpose in visiting Rome is so that he could find rest and encouragement with them, but then that they would support him as he goes to Spain, that they would support his mission to Spain, to take the gospel to the unreached people that were there in Spain. You know, he was probably going to recruit some of the members to, to join his team and actually physically go. You know, I'm sure he wanted them to, to know how to pray for him, to, to find ways to support him financially, maybe with material resources, you know. All these different ways that uh, Paul was going to seek their support. So what's the point in this? What's, uh, here's the main point. Paul wanted to strengthen the Roman church with the gospel to be a missions platform to the rest of the world. To spread the gospel to the unreached peoples around them. And friends, let me tell you something. That's what God wants of Charlotte Chapel. God wants this church to be a missions platform, a launching pad that spreads the good news of Jesus both locally and internationally, further afield to the unreached. Now, you might be thinking, Ray, this, this, sounds, this sounds a little extreme here, right? You know, I mean, being a missions platform... You know, it, it sounds great for maybe someone like you who, you know, you were called to be a missionary or... 
It sounds great for sort of professional Christians, right, who get paid to be pastors or teach the Bible or run Christian organizations, but surely that's not me. You know, I feel like I'm just trying to attend church on Sunday and keep myself out of trouble. Well, maybe you don't feel like that's you, but let's see what the Apostle Paul says in the next verse here. Let's look at verse 14. In verse 14, Paul says, I am obligated both to Greeks and non-Greeks, both to the wise and the foolish. That is why I'm so eager to preach the gospel also to you who are in Rome. So why is Paul so eager to visit Rome? Why is he so eager to go to Spain? He's obligated. Another way to say that is he is a debtor. How, how is he indebted to these people? Let me, let me give you a helpful illustration. It's kind of a paraphrase from Tim Keller. Think about how I could be in debt to you. You know, you, you might have lent me 100 pounds, let's say, and I'm in debt to you until I pay it back. But there's a second way that I, I could be in debt to you. Someone might have handed me, passed on to me 100 pounds to give to you, and I'm indebted to you until I hand it on, until I pass it on to you. It's in this second sense that Paul is uh, obligated to everyone everywhere. God has shared the gospel with him, but God has also commissioned him to declare it to others. So Paul, and I would say all of us as Christians, we owe the gospel to other people. The text says he's obligated to Greeks and non-Greeks. Did you see that? Greeks, the Greeks here is not talking about the nationality of people from Greece, uh, but it's, it's referring to sort of civilized people as people saw it back then. You know, this, this means people of the Greek-speaking language. They spoke Greek. They were from the kind of Greek culture. So the Roman citizens would have been considered Greeks in this way. The opposite were the non-Greeks. Now, the word non-Greeks there in your Bible in, their, in the original language there, it says barbaros, which is where we get our word for barbarian. And some of the English Bibles keep that word barbarian in there. I think that's helpful because Paul is showing the, this sort of this contrast, right, with the barbarians or people who didn't speak maybe the Greek language. They were not Roman citizens. They were considered uncivilized, unintelligent. I think he's referring to, you know, he's, he's, he's sort of using that reference the way people, Roman people thought and he's talking about sort of you Roman citizens, but also I'm obligated to the people in Spain. No offense, Raul. You know, people in Spain are very civilized today. But he's making that contrast. You know, or think about the Scots, right? For so long, people was always that common picture of the barbarian Scots, you know, especially in contrast to the civilized Americans, right? But that's, that's, what, that's what Paul's uh, making this contrast here. And Paul says, I'm obligated to both of, both of them. Paul knew that even in the Roman church, maybe they had a tendency to view people this way, and maybe we do too, right? Civilized, uncivilized, educated, uneducated. But Paul says, hey, I'm, I'm under obligation to all kinds of people to pass on the gospel. And friends, that's how our passage ends tonight, is what is the gospel? Verses 16 and 17, they answer that question. These are the kind of the main uh, thematic verses, main kind of verses in the whole letter of Romans that he 
unpacks for basically the rest of the letter uh, for the next kind of uh, 11 or 12 chapters. Verse 16 says that in the gospel is the power of God to save everyone who believes. In verse 17, it says that in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed. So when we hear the gospel message, we hear about a perfectly righteous God. Righteous in His character, in His activity, and in His gift of righteousness that He offers through His Son, Jesus Christ. Sinners like us can receive this gift of righteousness by faith. By faith, it says, from first to last. From the Jews who heard it first to the Gentiles who heard it last. We all can only receive it by faith. This is the gospel, friends. The gospel is the good news message that Jesus offers sinners like us the gift of a right relationship with God. God is righteous. And He has said that there will be a day when He will judge the world in righteousness and in justice. And on that day, none of us will be able to stand up and say, yeah, I'm good. I'm righteous enough to pass. None of us will. We will all be condemned unless we receive a righteousness that comes from outside of us. And that's what Jesus Christ offers. That's what Jesus offers to us. Jesus stands in our place. When He lived a sinless life, He suffered and died on a cross to take away God's wrath against our sin. And He rose from the dead and He has received all authority now. Jesus in my place. That's the Gospel in shorthand. When we turn from our sin and we surrender ourselves fully to Jesus as our King, as our Rescuer, He gives us forgiveness with God. He gives us this new identity of righteous. (laughs) Righteous in God's sight. Not our righteousness. Jesus' righteousness. And Maybe this is the first time that you're hearing about this gospel. Or, or maybe you've heard it many times before, but right now, God by His Spirit is bringing it to bear on your heart in a real way, and you need to respond. For those of you who already are believers, how do you feel about this gospel? I'll tell you how the Apostle Paul felt. He, he was not ashamed of it, he says in verse 16. He was eager to preach it. He was excited about it, proud of it. He wanted to tell others about it because it is the power of God to save everyone who believes. Everyone. Did you see that? To the Jew, to the Gentile, to the Greek, to the barbarian, to the civilized, to the uncivilized. Isn't this gospel compelling? Doesn't it compel you? Do you see your obligation brothers and sisters, to pass it on. Well, how can we do that? How can we apply this uh, second mark of a mission-minded Christian? Well, here's some ways that we can support cross-cultural missions even here in Charlotte Chapel. Number one, pray for our cross-cultural workers. I mentioned some ways you can do that, signing up with our CWT WhatsApp group. Grab your prayer guide. Uh, keep that at the dinner table. Pray over it with your family. 
Uh, pray for our unreached people groups. We send these out. Unreached people groups is the vo- very bottom of the church email every Wednesday. Scroll down there and download those images and keep that in front of you. Second thing uh, is to give. To give. Sorry, third thing, give generously to missions. You know, we keep this as a regular part of the budget in the church, uh, and this is something that uh, we, we want to be having as a regular thing. This is something we vote on in, in members' meetings. And so be eager to see that as part of the church budget and give sacrificially for these endeavors of cross-cultural missions. And we'll have opportunities sporadically as well in, uh, at independent times where you can give to specific things. And you might find ways in addition to this to give to other cross-cultural workers that you come across or, or Christian organizations uh, working with unreached people groups. Another thing is you can go locally. Like we were saying, how, how exciting is that? What, what Alan was sharing this morning. We can go locally uh, even to unreached people groups that are represented even in, in the city of Edinburgh. Go down to the local kebab shop and get to know the workers there. You know, introduce yourself. Get to know their name. Maybe you have to write down their name and, and learn how to pronounce it accurately. People, people love that when you can do that. Find ways where you can meet uh, people like this. Maybe you need a resource. There's a, there's a good resource down in the bookstall, in the foyer, a book on sharing the gospel with a Muslim neighbor. Maybe you need to take some time and get some training and, and kind of get prepared for how to have these spiritual conversations with people from another religion. You can also go abroad in a short-term capacity. You know, I suggested maybe, maybe uh, you need to take a week out of your annual leave and, and go along with uh, some other brothers and sisters to visit some of these churches. You can learn about how they're engaging with the communities around them. But finally, I, I can't talk about this without talking about those who need to really seriously consider God's call to long-term service. You see, some of you need to go even further than some of these steps we've been talking about. There are some, maybe even here this evening, that God is calling you to uproot your lives here in Edinburgh. It doesn't matter how old you are, actually. Well, in a way, obviously, I hope you're, uh, you know, of some age and you're a born-again believer. Of course, there's some necessary things, but don't just think I'm talking about how old I was in that picture right there, Okay. You need to consider the Lord's call to uproot your lives, move to a cross-cultural setting where Christ is not known or where the church is in need of strengthening. And I know we've talked a lot about local mission to internationals, even to unreached people groups here in Edinburgh, but friends, the fact remains that the largest number of unreached peoples in the world still remain in Asia and North Africa. How can they hear unless someone preaches? How can they preach unless they are sent? If you'd like to talk more about this, um, I'll be down here. We'd love to talk with you. Talk with Sito. Talk with one of our pastors. We'd love to help you think through this um, calling. Well, let me close with this story of of someone who did go. Uh, I mentioned... uh, a while back, the story of Margaret Wilson, but I didn't tell you the full story, really. Uh, Margaret Wilson was born Margaret Bain. Uh, she was born in a Gaelic-speaking household on the West Coast over in Greenock. And uh, after her father died, uh, she moved with her mother and two younger sisters, Anna and Hay, 
to here in Edinburgh, just in Cumley Bank, on Cumley Bank Road. Uh, and this is a picture of the house that they lived in. I walk by it regularly when I go to the grocery store. And uh, Margaret got married to John, and in 1828, they both moved to Mumbai, India, and where Margaret had actually a very significant ministry, sharing the gospel with young women and girls, and established numerous schools um, that continued on after her death, because she died after only seven years of service. But um, two years after her death, her sisters Anna and Hay back here in Edinburgh decided to, t- to pick up where she left off. And they moved to Mumbai, India as well. And this was very rare at the time for single women to go on the mission field. They were some of the first. And Anna and Hay also gave their lives uh, in that place for the cause of the gospel. And you know, we, we may not know their names today, but in their time in the 19th century, they actually left a significant impact on the missions movement in Scotland. It really served to strengthen churches here in Scotland to send more and more missionaries. And at one time, y'all, Scotland was sending proportionately more missionaries than any other nation in the world. Uh, So much so that their legacy actually helped to establish the Women's Missionary College uh, that was on Inverleith Terrace, uh, right over by the Botanical Gardens. You can still walk by it. For over a hundred years, the Women's Missionary College uh, sent out countless uh, female missionaries to preach the gospel around the world. But here's the thing. After many years of declining numbers of recruits, the Missionary College was closed just back in 2010. And you can still walk by that giant house today, but it's abandoned. Because people... Much, much of Scotland has given up on the gospel and the Great Commission. And the question is, will we give up too? Will we stop believing that we have an obligation to pass on the gospel? Well, brothers and sisters, let's cultivate these characteristics, these marks of... Uh, committing to strengthening the church and being compelled to spread the gospel to all nations. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we um, are so thankful for your grace, God, that you have shown to people who are so unrighteous like us, Lord. We know all the ways that, God, we don't deserve Jesus, we don't deserve the offer, uh, the gift of um, rescue, of salvation, of, um, of uh, the gift of righteousness that you've given through Jesus. And so, Lord, we, we worship you this evening. We thank you. And, and Lord, as we uh, think about this gospel, Lord, we, we want to cultivate these marks that we've seen in um, your word tonight, Lord, to commit ourselves to strengthening other brothers and sisters here in this church and even further afield. And God, that we would, as we seek to love each other and build each other up, that it would result in us going out, being a platform to take the gospel further to those who have little access, Lord. God, would you raise up more laborers for this great harvest field 
And God, would you help us to find ways that all of us would be obedient to make disciples of all nations. We ask this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. We're going to sing our final song um, this evening about for the cause of Christ we go. Let's stand and sing this response.